Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Here is our show. And now let's go. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. That was singing Tristan H. Cockcroft singing the theme song to today's movie edition of the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. It's Thursday, May 14, 2020. That's Tristan Kosabi producers. I'm Eric. And ESPN staff writer June Lee joins us each Thursday to talk baseball movies. And today's chapter is Bad News Bears from 1976, the original, with Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill. I loved it. And June, let's get right to it because I'm under the impression that you were not, um, you didn't know much about this movie until perhaps today. Yeah, so I had a vague sense of what the storyline was just because I'm I'm a baseball writer and people talk about this at the ballpark, right? Uh, but I literally finished watching it about five minutes before I hopped onto this call. Uh, and I, I'd only seen the Billy Bob Thornton version on, on cable reruns. And so this was like my first jumping in. And Eric had really hyped it up. I'd heard hype from a lot of people. I expected it to be very, very good. And honestly, it totally exceeded my expectations. Uh, for a movie like made in 1976, the fact that it like holds up on a humor level to this degree, I think is incredibly impressive. Uh, and the story is just great. Uh, it's just like a great heartwarming comedy movie. Um, it's just like a, it's a great feel good in all the best ways. And it combines, uh, I think the, the, the love that a lot of people have for youth baseball. It made me feel nostalgic for, for my own little league days. Uh, and just, you know, remembering all the errors that happen in the field, uh, when you play in little league and all the errant throws and, uh, all the frustration that, that you, that kind of comes with youth baseball. Uh, I thought that this movie was such a great encapsulation of just like the frustrations of youth and youth baseball and, and struggling to win. And also just, um, you know, the, the Walter Matthau storyline, uh, is, is, uh, is, is great. And, uh, he's hilarious in this movie. Uh, I was I was incredibly impressed. This is one of my favorite baseball movies now. So, Tristan, um, you'd seen the movie before, I presume. Uh, did you need to rewatch it? And uh, do you still feel the same way that maybe you might, might have 20, 30 years ago? I did. I also joined in the train of watching it again this morning, and it was probably the at least a dozen times now I've seen this original one. Um, it's the first baseball movie I ever watched. And I'm realizing that I whiffed in a big way by not putting this in my top five. I had a, a list of six to seven movies that I felt were very strong candidates and had to exclude some. And in retrospect, I regret having done that because uh, I have a lot more appreciation rewatching it now. And it's been so long since the point that I'd seen it. It's not something that you can very easily find. I mean, you can find it in any of the streaming services, but it's truly enjoyable. It covers a wide array. As June said, it does take you through a lot of the ups and downs of youth baseball. And those bring back good memories and bad memories for me. I like that it touched all those. And I love the classical music. I really do. That's why I wanted to sing that little intro there. It's just that I enjoyed the fact that they applied that as the soundtrack to the movie. Not in your top five. Explain well, yourself. I whiffed. Look. When I, I number one. When I, I know, but, and you know, frankly, I can make the case it belongs at number one in my own list if I did it today and submitted it again. Uh, when I saw it as the first baseball movie I did, it, it, it was a time when I was playing youth baseball. I didn't enjoy seeing those, you know, obsessive parent coaches and, and the ups and downs of that and the emotions. How do so you, you truly identified with the players is what you were saying. Right. And and I didn't like that. It 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 brought it brought some, you know, like bad personal memories at the time 
But watching it today, it, it's a different perspective. You remember your first baseball movie? You remember your first basketball movie, your first soccer movie? I mean, who remembers their first baseball movie? I And what kind of little leaguer were you guys? That's the other thing I have a question. So, like, when I'm watching this movie, like, I was the kind of little leaguer who actually got hit by pitches and took walks. I, I, I didn't swing the bat that much. I was a really good defender, and I would take walks, and I would run around the bases because I was fast. But I never hit home runs. Were you guys good in Little League? I was good up until high school, and then I stopped growing. So I'm 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 5'7", but I was tall basically through middle school. And so I threw harder than everyone else. I threw curveballs earlier, and then my arm fell apart in high school, and I stopped growing. So uh, I have, I've seen both. I, I've both been like a, a league all-star and a high school bench warmer. I was a little like you, Eric. I I was the hit by pitch and walk guy. I was an on base percentage player, and we played in an era where nobody cared about walks and hit by pitches. They didn't want you on the team if you did that. Even though I probably had one of the top five on base percentages on every team I was on, I wasn't a good player. I was terribly slow. That was a huge uh, negative thing for me because I couldn't cover field positions and have the range, and I couldn't really leg out ground balls like you needed to do in little league. Let's talk more about Bad News Bears now. So June already mentioned, I think it's a good movie. We all agree. Um, it The plot holds up. It's entertaining. It's emotive. It makes you feel. And personally, one of my favorite parts is that it doesn't end with them winning the championship. Now, there is an alternate ending to the movie for those who, who through the years, have read it and know about it. Um, the alternate ending has them winning the game. I love the fact that they don't win the game, and that was established in 1976. Like you think, like how could that movie have happened back then? But they score all these runs in the ninth inning. Kelly Lee gets the big hit, and he's out at home plate. It's like the perfect ending. And then when they're you know throwing beer and champagne on themselves and throwing the trophy at the other guys, I, that's a great. It's a great ending to a baseball movie, June. And there's almost nothing like it where a movie ends that way. Yeah, the thing that I really loved about the ending is that they lose and then they're kind of defiant, right? Because at the beginning of the movie, they start as quitters because that's the example uh, that that Morris Buttermaker sets for the kids. He wants to forfeit the game. And so they come the next day and they all want to quit. And that's the beginning of the turning point of the movie where you start to see the, the progress and the change in the team. And so seeing the kids at the end of the movie be super defiant and be like, it doesn't matter that you know, you guys have a bigger trophy. They threw the trophy at the Yankees. Uh, um, I thought, I thought was, uh, it was, it was just, it was a, it was a perfect movie manifestation of seeing like a before and after and just seeing the change and the, the character arc, uh, manifest itself in, in this hilarious scene of these kids, you know, dumping beer on each other on a little league field. Yeah. That's also fitting too, based on the response that the Yankees have at the end of this game that, uh, it, it really is a half beep apology given to them. So it is fitting that they respond in the way that they do. I like the fact that they broke from tradition with movies, especially the ones made in that era where you would have the happy ending where everything gets wrapped up neatly in a bow. It doesn't turn out that way. Doesn't seem fair. Okay, I need because I'm into realism in movies, and obviously this is not based on a true story or anything like that. It was a, a screenplay, and then that. But is it fair that they, they just take Kelly Leak and Amanda Wurlitzer off the street to just join their little league team? I mean, in a way, it's like okay, they don't even live in your district or your area. When I was growing up playing little league, I mean, you had to live in the town to be on the team. So to me, to even like have those people on the team and they're the two best players. It's a little unfair, 
But then again, like the Yankees and the A's and every other team, they didn't want that. They didn't want a girl, and they didn't want you know the miscreant Kelly Leak, who was awesome in this movie. They're both awesome. I, I I was actually on a baseball team where we had two mercenaries from different towns. We we like won the regional like state state little. It was this is in like middle school, but we won like a little sta- our little league tournament or whatever, and we went to play states and uh and we took two of the players from the two semifinal teams uh, and we brought their two best pitchers onto our team and uh that's a thing that happens. It's absolutely a thing that happens. What, what was the spread in that game? Were you guys gambling too at 12 years old? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree. Look, I agree with you on this point. This is probably what bothered me as a kid was that you're effectively taking two ringers, putting them on the team, and then all of a sudden the team is successful. And frankly, one of my big objections I, I like the movie a lot. Let's be clear on that first. My major objection to this is that we're going from one true extreme where they get obliterated and don't even bat in the first inning of their first game. They lose their second game. It was either eight, what was it, 18 nothing, 19 nothing, whatever it is. They lose badly in the second game. And then by the end of the movie, they're in the championship game. I mean, that's well, probably the standings aren't exactly accurate because it, it's also youth baseball, too. There's, there's, there's a point where you look at the standings on the screen, Tristan, and every team is 500 or above. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, somebody yeah. has to have a losing record. It's seven, <laughs> teams. it's seven teams at the beginning. They say that specifically on opening day. It's seven teams. And in the standings, where are the losses coming from? They have to come from somewhere. But it, look, in the final game, when all of the reserves come in in the final inning, then things go back to where the, the way they were. They're making errors. They're making poor throws and the like. So, so wait a minute. These two players can carry the team all year? This is not basketball. Well, Buttermaker learns his lesson, basically, in the middle of that game and says, well, everybody gets a chance to play, even Lupus. And then Lupus makes the nice catch. And I, I just – I love the fact that Buttermaker learns a lesson. You learn a lesson – as a viewer in this movie saying winning is important, but it's not everything. It's how you play. And that's why them losing the game is perfect because the Bears are saying, well, we'll get you next time. But, you know, we have pride. We have integrity. We didn't hit our pitcher on the mound, you know, like the manager didn't do that. Although the manager did do some other bad things. But I think that's awesome. Like, who's your favorite character? Because Walter Matthews, Matthew is awesome as the, the coach and the pool guy. Um Obviously, Tatum O'Neill is fantastic. Kelly Leak is fantastic. Jackie Earl Haley, who goes on to do some other interesting movies. Um, they both do, actually. Who's your favorite character? I mean, I love Tanner Boyle because as a kid, I think I was a little bit like that. I think I was, yeah, I was cursing. I wanted to win more than anything. I would trip a guy going around the bases. I never played shortstop. I was a lefty. But, yes, I feel like I was Tanner Boyle. Do you guys feel like you're any character in this movie? I don't, don't necessarily – I, I don't necessarily identify with any character, but I loved the back and forth between Morris Buttermaker and uh, Amanda. Like, I just thought it was, I thought it was so funny that just watching an 11 year old girl calling out this, uh, an alcoholic Little League coach for all of the things that have gone wrong in his life just at the beginning of the movie and that dynamic playing out over the course of the movie. Uh, and seeing just how that relationship develops, that was personally my favorite storyline. I I like Tanner best as a character, but I'm probably the Engelberg of the team. <laughs> I'm telling you, I did not I did not have wheels when I played Little League. I'm I was seriously the slowest kid in the entire league. <laughs> you, so you were like pulling out like a turkey leg out of your back pocket, yes. while catching during a game. This look, one of the biggest objections I had when I was playing was that I should have been playing first base. Period. You didn't need a lot of range, and you're a big statue there catching the ball and not letting it get by you and that my coaches never agreed with that 
So who's your, is, is Engelberg your favorite character in the movie? My favorite's Tanner, but I probably relate a little bit more to Engelberg. That's fair. Okay. Um, so we agree. It holds up. It ends well. Um, it's timeless. And for those that think, well, the, the, there's a Bad News Bears 2, which is terrible. And then there's a Bad News Bears remake with Billy Bob Thornton, as you mentioned, which is pretty similar. They just uh, change a few things. Like, like the coach sleeps with the mother of one of the players. And um, there's some more adult-like stuff going on. Oh, you haven't seen that part, June. I'm looking at you. Okay. Well, I don't want to give away the plot. <laughs> By the way, there, there, Whoa. there are three of the original. There are three Not the original. player, the mother of the player. That would be a totally different. Yes. I'm getting into trouble. Um, uh. It's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. It was all legal. I, I don't think any laws were broken there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got to see the, this uh, the remake next. I don't. It's I'm good. not. A fan of it movie. is good, but it's not like the, it, the original is always the best. I think the original Rocky is the best, and you know, think of any movies that have like Major League. The original is the best. Um, good uh, Godfather, I think. So Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back is better than A New Hope. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess so. We had our our May May the Fourth be with you, June, on one of our previous shows, and we were ranking them in order. So you go with Empire. Well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but in, uh, obviously this doesn't come across in a podcast. But I do have a Kylo Ren helmet and a, and a Mandalorian helmet. I can there. see that. Oh, yes. Okay. Call, yeah, Man, Manda Victorian is what I called it on the show, uh, <laughs> or Valedict Mandatorian, or something like that. <laughs> Although I I did watch the newest Star Wars movie on Disney Plus, by the way, or ESPN Plus, but no, it's Disney Plus. It's Disney Plus. Hashtag corporate synergy. Yeah, I am a company man. Kyle can't play the music that goes with that. All right, final thoughts here on Bad News Bears, which I love, and I think now we've turned you, June, into somebody who loves it too. Um, it holds up. It's great. It's funny. Um, technically, it works. There's nothing totally unrealistic, really. And it's just a There's fun. a couple of language choices that don't age well, but that's um, pretty much it. Tanner Boyle's yes. language, yes, does not yeah. age well. Blank, uh, blank, blank, and now a girl. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't fill in the blanks there. <laughs> hey, Tanner Boyle's a future politician. Um, <laughs> I love – by the way, I love – that Matt, Matt though was fantastic in this movie, but I love the fact that he has two movies that I love where he mentions Catfish Hunter with the other being Grumpy Old Man. I was a huge oh, Grumpy right. Old Man fan. I really love how they established Matthau's character at the beginning of the movie with just the, the, the beer, him dumping the, the liquor into it. it was just, it's just a, such a perfect establishing like main character scene too. Do you have a favorite quote from this movie? I I loved when Engelberg eats the chocolate with the, the wrapper on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think we could repeat some of the quotes that are in there. You know about sticking the bat in a certain place and <laughs> hey Yankees, and I can't say the rest of that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's part of it as well. I'm trying to think of any quote. Um, like those Yankees are real turds. Tanner Boyle is awesome in this movie. I don't think he ever did anything. I don't know if he did anything else. I shouldn't say that. I'm but, not um, sure. Yeah. And I don't know if this movie won any awards, but to me, it won awards. Maybe it was my first baseball movie too. I just, I love it. It's great. Thank you very much. Good stuff there. And next week's movie is The Sandlot, which I'm sure we'll love as well. And uh, <laughs> this will go on for I don't know how long. <laughs> Because I don't know when baseball is coming back. Uh, um, so before we let you go, June, Tri oh, Tristan, do you have trivia. a trivia question? Yeah, and we'll do the answer live right here because this one is one I think that you could all guess. So we'll do 
trivia, trivia that no one will know. And the trivia today is I'd like you to name the five active pitchers who have thrown multiple no-hitters. Five active pitchers have thrown multiple no-hitters. Who are they? Well, I know a couple off the top of my head. Um, Verlander? Verlander is one of them. Scherzer? Scherzer is another. We have three more. Well, I, I know Homer Bailey's one because I watched one this week. or last. That week. is correct. Homer Bailey is a third. There are two remaining who have thrown multiple no-hitters. Multiple no-hitters. Um <laughs> Oh, I know one because I because he's on the Phillies. Yes, he is on the Phillies. Oh, I know them both. Um, I because how is he doing it? Mike Fires. Mike Fires. I, I don't want to. That's I. I knew that there was one. There was yeah, one Fires name that that was a different. Uh, wasn't as good as, as Scherzer or Verlander that was on this list. Yes. I mean, yep. I don't want to just take up all the answers for everyone. Oh, yeah, do it. That's what you're here for. You're the pro. Me and Junior just. And I stuck at trivia, so. I mean, he did it during his awesome Cy Young, Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta's the fifth. Correct. You got all five. Nice and it's job. amazing when you look at that list. These aren't exactly Hall of Famers. I mean, Verlander is, but. I mean, Mike Fires now is known for something else, but he's not a Hall of Famer or anybody. We don't even draft him in fantasy. And Homer Bailey is like just hanging on. His career was almost over three or four years ago. Arietta had one monster year. The only reason he's on the Phillies is because of his contract. Like, think of it that way. I mean, you got, you know, Verlander's a monster. I mean, Lincecum threw a a second no-hitter after he kind of had had peaked out, too. Yes. And and never forget that Philip Umber threw a perfect game. With an ERA of, like, six. (laughs) I mean, mean, yeah. Mike Fires, during the most recent no-hitter he threw, he had gotten shelled up to that point. He entered the game with a 681 ERA, and then from that point on – that uh, last year he had an ERA somewhere around three, so he was a complete fantasy star from that day forward. But probably nobody had him active. Right. Mike Fires has had a weird career. Uh, it's got, it's got a lot weirder, weirder this offseason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's going to be like he's going to have a very weird resume at the end of his major league. Career. Yeah, that legacy will be something to remember. We'll all remember the name, and it won't be for the pitching stats. He's going to yeah. have a weird season because you know we've all and June. This is a we can talk about this with you. I mean the Astros situation. And I think it's somewhat relevant for fantasy this year as well. The Astros had a bad offseason. I think we can all agree that some of their people lost their jobs. And now with the virus, I think a lot of people have forgotten about the Astros situation. But when baseball returns, I don't think pitchers are going to forget. They're going to be throwing at Bregman and Springer. And nobody's talking about the Mike Fires angle this either. I mean, obviously, it's a... It's a world where there's two sides, essentially, this country and everything and baseball as well. A lot of people don't think Fires should have done that. People that work at ESPN don't think he should have done that. So there's going to be people mad at him, and there's going to be people throwing at Astros. And even in August, you're going to have some brawl situations. I'm wondering, do you think that anybody's going to remember the Astros situation when we get back to baseball, or are they just going to be so happy to have baseball? I mean, I don't think the players are going to forget because, I mean – it was it was very striking the spring training, the little spring training that we had to see how angry all the players were and the level and degree of the anger that they had. It wasn't just like in you know in, in talking to reporters off the record. Uh, it was in front of cameras and baseball players over the course of the last I think 
10 to 15 years have been known to try to downplay any sort of drama in the media. And this was one of the few baseball stories where the players escalated it because they cared a lot. Um, and so when I think about that, yes, it's easy for the fan anger to dissipate because we're getting a sense of real world perspective, right? We're just sitting at home all day. We There's so many problems happening in the world right now. I think for fans, that's different. But for these guys, it's about their livelihood. It's it's their job. It's their reputation. It's their legacy. All of this stuff was still affected by everything the Houston Astros did, uh, and and it was it was very striking just to see how personally uh, a lot of the players seemed to make it. Um, and so, I think it's inevitable that we're going to see beanballs with the, with the Astros, even if there are no fans, and even if the, even if there aren't. You know, the anticipated, you know, hundreds of signs whenever the Astros come to town about calling them cheaters, you know, similar to what we saw in the steroid era. We're we're obviously not going to see that this year, but um, I think it's hard to imagine the players are going to forget. It's striking when you hear a player like David Ortiz call uh, Mike Fires a snitch in public. Is that unbelievable? I mean, it's unbelievable that he could do that and mean it. And there's a lot of people that think that he is a snitch. And obviously, Mike Fire is not a big fantasy option. But a lot of Astros are Bregman, Springer, Altuve. And Springer's a free agent after the season. And I wonder if that affects where he goes and the money he gets. Maybe people, you know, like if, if the Twins could do it again, they wouldn't take Marlon Gonzalez. He, his one year was the year they cheated. And since then, he's done nothing. So it's pretty obvious that, that he, you know, gained from this. Uh, it's going to be real interesting to see. The, and I wonder how much pressure they're going to put on themselves. If Springer doesn't have a good half season in 2020, everyone's going to say. I think that's part of it. The small sample size only is going to hurt him. Because I think we are all kind of on board that, like, the Bregmans of the world would be fine over 162 games. But would it shock you if any player in baseball went into a slump for 20, 30 games and now that's, you know, a third, a quarter of the season? Be right. And also there's, there's so many big free agent contracts coming up. You know, I, you know, Mookie Betts is, is a free agent and he was preparing to have one of the biggest seasons of his life. Uh, a lot of his, he's been working really, really hard this past offseason in Nashville, uh, working out to prepare for that big contract because it's been what he's been building towards. It's why the Red Sox traded him. Uh, and now you have 81 games and, you know, players, you, we've seen it time and time again, just players go in and out of streaky cycles. You'll see a guy suck in the first half who's amazing in the second half. And now that we only have one half, you know, how does that affect free agency as we move forward? Because our team's going to freak out over an 81-game sample size? What if contracts aren't there? I mean, they're arguing about money right now to the point where we only might not even have baseball. And there's a lot of talk here in Philadelphia about JT Real Muto and his potential contract extension. How could the Phillies have him for only two years or one if they don't play? And, uh, you know, and not sign him long term. They can't legally sign him. And he may not want to sign, but I'm wondering what is it? Is he going to get the $130 million contract anyway? If every team loses money this season, how are they going to give Mookie and Real Muto right. contracts they would have gave, given them before? That's going to affect the game too. That's a, that's a, the question that I've constantly been thinking about the last couple of weeks, especially in regards to the contracts is if the revenues are down and all the teams are making less money and all the play, the revenue sharing with the players is down, there's going to be less money for the teams to give out. Like is Mookie going to get, uh, you know, some people thought he was going to get maybe forty million dollars a year or something close to that. Can you see a team giving out forty million dollars given the economic crisis that has happened in this country and the state of the economy? It's kind of hard to imagine that right now. And you know, we don't know what the economy is going to look like 
two weeks from now, let alone a month from now, let alone six months from now, let alone a year from now, right? Like, we don't know if we're going to have fans in stadiums a year from now. There's no vaccine yet. So there's so many things up in the air right now. And I can't even imagine what it, it must be weird as a player to be in a contract year right now. Someone like a Mookie Betts, uh, who is just sitting at home being like, this was the year where I was supposed to set up my family for the rest of our lives, right? And you're just sitting at home and there's nothing you can do because literally everybody in the world is sitting at home right now. Yeah. I think the well, question, frankly, about when the fans will be returning to the stadium is is the valid one. Are we still discussing this at the beginning of 2021? That's going to have a huge bearing on what happens during the offseason. Frankly, bringing it back to the Astros point, uh, if the players are the ones who have the the negative feelings this year and we play without fans in the stadiums, and then there's the impact of how the fans feel about it when these players travel on the road. That means we could be stretching this out two years. I hear people talking about the Astros just being forgotten, like this is all swept underneath the carpet. It could very well be this year and then another impact next year because then there's fans involved in it. If, if they even come back. Um, final thoughts here for June, and then we'll let you go. Are you watching the Korean Baseball League? Obviously, ESPN is televising some of the games. You and the great staff at ESPN Baseball previewed a lot of the season for the KBO. And uh, it's baseball. It's fun. There's bat flips. A lot of ninth inning changes. I mean, closers blowing leads I've seen. I'm interested in it. And I, I, I like – I enjoy watching baseball without a fantasy slant. I know that might sound weird for the host of a fantasy podcast – but I like the fact that I don't have to worry about these players from fantasy unless they're in the United States. But I'm enjoying watching baseball. How do you feel about it? I love waking up in the morning and turning on the television or, or turning to going to ESPN.com and hitting the watch tab or whatever and watching and streaming the games because, uh, it's just like a great, like, tone setter for the day. It's just like a legion. It's, it's great background noise. Uh, there's been really fun baseball. Um, the bullpens are kind of all over the place. One of my favorite things on Twitter the past week or so has been seeing Mike Golick Jr. and, uh, my friends, the Cespers family barbecue, Jake, Jake Mintz. They've been, they've adopted the KT Wiz as their team. The KT Wiz is the worst team in the KBO and has blown like four leads in the, in the first seven games. And yeah. so I open up Twitter and it's just them crying about how the Wiz bullpen sucks. And it's just like, I love that, like, even if it's only for a couple hours in the morning, that this kind of, like, sports happiness and excitement is back for a little bit every single day. It's baseball. Six six of the seven days of the week. Tristan, are you watching this baseball? (laughs) I am. Yeah, I I do miss a few of the games just because of the weird hours, but I'm enjoying it anytime. I, I usually catch the replays. Yeah, no, it's baseball. It's fun. It's awesome. And June, so are you. We'll check out your stuff at ESPN's baseball coverage. And then next Thursday, you will join us again. We will talk about The Sandlot, another movie, a different generation, I would argue, of people that love it because we're a little bit older than you. So Bad News Bears is our childhood movie. Sandlot's probably yours. So we will discuss that next Thursday. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, June. All right. So great stuff there by June Lee. And uh, we really enjoy his company every Thursday and talking about baseball. And I mean, that's what we are. We're just a bunch of pals here talking about baseball. Me, Tristan, Kyle. And we would love to have baseball in the United States if it's safe. Um, it doesn't matter if there's fans. I would watch it from home. I'll watch every night, every game that I could. It would be great to have fantasy back. And by that vein, let me just, before we get to the hash browns, tell you what I did on Wednesday night. Uh, our good friend Ron Chandler has been hosting weekly um, these these retro drafts from past seasons. They did 1982, and then last night they did 1999. And basically what it is is 12 fantasy experts um, get into a, a virtual online room, um, and 
Todd Zola created this unbelievable spreadsheet and a 20 minute like thing to go with it to, to tell you how to use it. Zola is the best. So Chandler and Zola and we did a draft and basically I didn't prep, you know, I, I don't prep. So we get into the room and you're drafting the best from 1999 and the standings are updated live and you can see who's doing well. And the standings don't matter for the first, you know, a couple hours. Going, so it's a 23 round draft, no bench. Everybody's active. The normal 10 categories and whoever wins at the end wins, gets pride and they get to choose what's the next season. And I was, so we're three hours into this four hour draft and we're going into round 23 and I'm winning and I built a really unconventional team. I basically, I punted saves and I punted kind of ERA and whip. I didn't get an ace. I got a bunch of starting pitchers who were okay. Remember, 1999, there were only two good starting pitchers, Pedro and Randy. They were the first two picks in this draft. I had the fourth pick. So I was praying. I thought the best hitter by far was Yvonne Rodriguez, the catcher, who had like 35 homers and 25 steals and batted 330. I wanted him because you're thinking about position scarcity. Not a lot of middle infielders hit. So Jeter went third, and I got Pudge fourth. So my best starting pitchers are not top 10 starters. It was like Pete Harnish and El Duque, Andy Ashby. But anyway, we go into the last round, and I'm starting to inch up a little bit in the Iran whip because other teams are falling behind in it. I still have zero, an area save. I've got a really good offense, and I've got the lead. And then <laughs> Fred Zinke, who's a fantastic fantasy writer, and contributes for numerous sites He's now. He's a great player, by the way. He is one of the best players. He's a better player than I, and he stole the title from me with his last round pick because he had an outfield spot open, and he took Ryan Klesko, and he went from like five points behind me to ten points up with that pick in the last round because he picked up like three in runs, three in homers. Klesko had like a 20-80 season, and and five in RBI. It was Everything was bunched. We were all trying to protect batting average. And um, and so he wins, but it I was with a traumatic. It was midnight Eastern time, and I was like, "I'm going to win this. I'm picking 1980." And then, oh my god! I and, and if I lost by one or two points, I would have been like, "Oh, what did I do wrong?" I felt better losing by ten yeah. because <laughs> I was like, "Okay, yeah. now I feel bad. I didn't make a bad pick." It's not like Sterling Hitchcock cost me the championship. He he had one outfield spot. I thought we were all bunched together in offense, and then we weren't. Fred Wayne, Jeff Erickson also passed me with his last pick, but what a blast this was. Tristan, I believe you're in next Wednesdays. Yes, it's also the 1999. We're doing two of these because uh, the champions of these get to pick the next year, from what I understand. Um, I, I want to have a little said fun. like three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I'm looking up some stuff while we're talking about that. So yeah, sorry. You know, I'm not listening as usual. Um, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> no pain of a half point difference there. You and I have both been on the bad end of a half point uh, lead. Yeah, no, this, I felt better. I still didn't go to sleep for like two hours, but I felt better losing by like <laughs> by a bunch than by like one or two points because I didn't have like one extra stolen base or one extra win. I, I went five. St- I went five starters and four middle relievers without saves to protect the array and whip. My offense is fantastic. He, we had basically the same offense. He just he bettered me in ERA and whip, and 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 he punted saves too, but he had more than me because he had Paul Shuey. So um, let's give you the the fun that I found here for ninety nine. I actually have ESPN's nineteen ninety nine average draft position. Yeah, of course you do. And I, I wasn't going to ask you for any of this. I, I assume you have your own rankings for next Wednesday. I wasn't going to ask you for it. Yeah. 
I went in blind. I just used baseball reference and we were all zooming and it was fun. I was pretty quiet because I was doing research for next picks and I almost won. You, I don't want to say you're cheating, but it's different when you put in all this work and you have like an ADP and you know the final player rater and like you weren't even at ESPN at the time. It's like, ugh. I wonder if I can bet on Tristan winning this composition. Cheaters Probably. always prosper. That is the fantasy baseball motto. Cheaters always prosper. One of the magazines used that way back in the day, so I'm stealing that. Whatever. I don't want to say you're a cheater. It's just you're, look, you win your leagues and I finish second. I did again. Or, you know. So this is where things change, though, is that the ADP is not the final outcome. And it's also not the, 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 the outcome of this draft. This was the top 10 in ADP entering 1999. Number one was A-Rod. Number two was Ken Griffey Jr. Number three was Greg Maddox. Number four was Mike Piazza. Five was Craig Biggio. Six was Roger Clemens of the Yankees in 99. Did not have a good year. He went in like round 12 or something, yeah. Yeah, he did not have a good first year of the Yankees. Mark McGuire was seventh. Sammy Sosa was eighth. Nomar Garcia-Par was ninth. And Kevin Brown was 10th. Top 10 in your draft, Pedro, Randy Johnson, Derek Jeter, Ivan Rodriguez, Larry Walker, Jeff Bagwell, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Roberto Alomar. So we've got some changes here. And you mentioned Pudge. Pudge was 22nd in ADP that year. So we saw it coming, but not to the extent of the ADP numbers. ADP doesn't it- matter. And the final results are all that matters. We already know all the numbers for these players. So the ADP, I would argue, is, is irrelevant. I got A-Rod at the end, end of round two. Um, I don't know why. He missed a bunch of games, but he still had a monster season. It's a shortstop. I wanted to build up the – I got Jay Bell in round three. Jay, people don't realize Jay Bell had 38 home runs that year. Um, it was a lot of fun. Thank you to Ron Chandler and Todd Zola and everyone. And congrats to Fred Zinke. It was a great time. And I don't think I'm in next Wednesdays. I think you are. But it's still – I enjoyed it. I would love to do it again. And look, it, it, it got me thinking I wasn't like – looking for something to do. I was like, I had a four hour time period on Wednesday night where I had something fun to do with the friends from the industry. It took four hours. It took four hours. Wow. I, think it took, I think the one before it took six. Um, so, wow. you know, if I were you, I would like, you know, get in your pajamas before the draft next week. It was, uh, wow. but it was, it was a blast. And um, you, I believe you, they're going to be discussing it on Ron Chandler's site and on XM Sirius. Jeff Erickson is going to have uh, Zinke as a guest. And uh, he's going to have me on the, as a guest as well. And uh, just great stuff. But to your point about the ADP, that it doesn't tell us anything, is you're correct. Doing these retro drafts is going to teach us some lessons about the fluctuations during the regular season. And I will point out, looking at the 99 results and around that era, the final numbers were actually a lot closer to ADP back then than they are today. Baseball is a little more... Random. You, don't have, you don't have player rater results or anything, right? Or dollar I, values? I actually do not have RF. The first player rater I have for ESPN was 2000. So one year. So Zola has dollar values for that year. Um, it's that just, I do have. I, I, I've got to dig them up, though. So, you know. Of course you do. Of course you have dollar. I don't have dollar values for last year. You have dollar values for 1999, you freak. Okay. I know. Yep. Um, Kyle, we, I'm sure we have some hash browns in here somewhere. So what do we got? We do. Matthew was reading Tristan's latest volume six in the or inning six of the playbook where he discusses volume. He wants to know how much he should be weighing a player's slot in the batting order and the strength of the lineup around them. Is it just a tiebreaker for players? Does it elevate certain players more than that? He wants to know your take. So my take on that is that this is 
bigger, the smaller the sample you're discussing. And it's why when we talk about daily fantasy, lineup is huge. Lineup position is huge. And as I point out in the playbook, it's all about opportunities turning the lineup over. Players in the top half of the order are going to get substantially more plate appearances. And I believe it was somewhere in the range of 70 differentiated the second and the fifth spots in the lineup. That's just two and five, three spots in the lineup. Um, I would not put a, a hefty weight on a guy who's hitting higher in the order, but I would throw them an extra two to five bucks, depending on who the player is and what the offense is. By the way, Tristan, great job on your nine greatest games in fantasy baseball history. That's the lead of ESPN's fantasy page uh, right now, fantasy baseball page. Kerry Wood, I, if, you, if that was a trivia question, and you had asked me, what do you think is the best game of all time for fantasy? I would have guessed Kerry Wood. I would not have guessed one of these four home run games. It has to be a pitcher who had a lot of strikeouts, didn't put anybody on base. The Clemens 20 strikeout game is on there. Um, well, one of, you know, one of them is, not the other. One of, right. Uh, and then I was watching on MLB the, the other day, the David Cohn game against the Phillies, which was like late in the season, like October, last game of the season or something, and he just demolished them. And um, They were there. You were the leadoff man playing short. Uh, I was built like Ricky Otero. Was he the leadoff guy? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I think it was Kim Batiste was the leadoff hitter that day, but that was an awful that, – That tells you something. Awful Phillies lineup that day. Uh, well, for a decade it was. It just it tells you something when a pitcher just rummages through like that um, as opposed to – like Kerry Wood faced a really potent Houston lineup when he did that, like Bagwell, Biggio, Moises Alou. Um, by the way, before I forget, I'm doing a 1902 dead ball draft and season right now. Really? Nice. Okay. Out of the park baseball. Um, I don't have a very good team. I took over a team, but uh, I might finish in last. But uh, it is fun. Joe McGinnity and Roger Bresnahan. And I tried to trade for Nap Lajerway, and my friend said, what are you kidding? <laughs> so he he would never listen to this show. Anyway, uh, next Ask Brown, please. Baker wants to know how excited Eric is about Brian Price being the pitching coach in Philly this year. You know, I liked what the Phillies did two years ago, the Gabe Kapler first season. And I thought, okay, this could work. I like he's a little bit different. And I think he knows – he didn't know he – he was terrible. He didn't know how to run the team. He couldn't communicate. They they were worse because of him in his second year. And I think the pitching coach had something to do with that as well. They couldn't – they've got all these talented young right-handers that they can't figure out how to get them to emerge. I'm not saying Nick Pavetta is going to be – you know, Steven Strasburg or anything, but Nick Pavetta should be better than this. His FIP, his underlying numbers two and three years ago, Tristan told us that there was something there and there's just nothing there. Now, maybe Brian Price can unlock the greatness of Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin, some of these guys that should be better than they are. Maybe he can get Jake Arrieta to fix whatever's wrong with him. Um, so am I excited about Brian Price? I mean, he wasn't a good manager, but he's been a good. What is a good pitching coach? How do you how do you know if if someone is a good pitching coach? Tristan, is it is it like uh, Mazzoni, Leo Mazzoni, all those years? Was he a good pitching coach, or did he just have great pitchers? Or the guy in Pittsburgh, like Ray, is Ray he? Yeah, yeah, Searage. Is he a good pitching coach, or was were these guys going to be good anyway? I think with the Phillies, they have some arms who have underachieved. So I'd like to see. If one of Velasquez, Eflin, Pavetta can actually do something, maybe they can keep Sir Anthony Dominguez healthy. So I'm optimistic about the manager and the pitching coach, but I don't know. I don't think they have that much. Um, they don't, you know, th- how much influence do they really have? And for fantasy. 
I actually think they have more than you're estimating with the answer. But I also don't want people to get carried away that we're expecting a huge rebound from Jake Arrieta. I think Brian Price was Brian Price was a, a very very good pitching coach before he became a manager. And as you said, he wasn't a great manager. We saw that happen before with Ray Miller was one of the examples. John Farrell uh, was another. I'm probably forgetting a few other ones. So I, I think it is a, a plus because he'll he'll presumably be an improvement upon what's come before him. Um, and they have guys who they who need to have their full ability unlocked. Um, but can, impact is impossible to know impact. Right. Like we can quantify the impact of a pitching coach more now with the stat cast numbers and with pitch specific numbers, you can get swinging strike numbers, things like that zone percentages and the like for, for, for all different kinds of pitches. Um, I go back to the example of Larry Rothschild with the Yankees where he would, unlock a specific pitch for a pitcher. He'd shelve one and he'd highlight one of uh, the pitchers, better pitches. He, he's the guy who showed Nate Evaldi the splitter. That was one of the things that made him a, kind of a true breakthrough for them. And then, of course, he got hurt. Hopefully, Price can do that for some of these Phillies guys. I, I would. That's another case of I'd throw an extra bucket one of these if they have a good spring training if you see something being unlocked, but nothing more than that. That's fair. Batman comes in. He wants to know what your preferred compensation percentage is in a head-to-head league when it comes to the regular season winner versus the postseason winner. Is that the real Batman? It's Chalupa Batman We're from the league on, uh, no, it's, <laughs> on Twitter. It's me, darkness. See, there it is. There's no answer to this question. I, I, I have a league right now that, that awards money for regular season and for playoffs. Right. And I think it's equal. Um, and then it goes into the overall standing. It's a three-sport league. Um, that I enjoy. I have another head-to-head league where the regular season means nothing except seeding for the playoffs. And, of course, really? seeding means nothing, too, because there's no motivation. It's not like you have extra motivation. not better than the other teams. So I can't answer that. Tristan, what, what would you say? Like, what percentage? Fifty? It's not 50-50. 60-30-10 is kind of what I've gone by. 60 for the regular season champ, 30 for the playoff champion, 10 for the playoff runner-up. I Should like it be that. more for the playoffs? No. Playoffs in a head-to-head league for four weeks? Or yeah, but like in real life, nobody cares who wins the regular season. All that matters in real life are the, are the playoffs. It's not the same. I mean, in, in real Why? life, you're, because in real life, you're playing out the 162-game schedules as the regular season, and then the playoffs are the playoffs where the players on the field know they have the motivation of a championship right there. When they are playing for you on September 20th, they don't care about your fantasy team. They don't any day, but they certainly aren't playing with the motivation of, hey, it's fantasy championship week. No, of course. I'm not. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not, I don't mean that. I mean – all that matters in real life are who wins the championship. Nobody remembers the teams that win 100 games and then lose in the playoffs. Nobody remembers who the Dodgers. This is not a comp. You're, you're, I know I'm dismissing what you're saying and you're dismissing what I'm saying, but I've heard this argument, I'm telling you, from a lot of people in my leagues where they're kind of like, it's like the real game. No, it's not at all like the real game. And wouldn't you rather have a team that went 21-1 and in the regular season and had like a four or five game lead over everybody – Gets knocked out in a fluky one-week playoff match. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree no. with that. I just I, – I don't know if – it just seems weird that the compensation for the playoffs is so much lower. Um, the playoffs are four weeks compared to 22 that are before it. And I'm fine with the glory coming with the title team. Like, if you want to say I won my league, like, that only goes to the playoff. I'm fine with that person being remembered. But if I want the regu- – if I won the regular season, I want – 
kind of my pockets lined to. I mean, by that by that token, Tristan, our sim league where I've averaged 110 wins a season and won nothing in the playoffs, I should be I should feel good about that. Yes, <laughs> you should. You know, you know, I just for some reason I don't win in the playoffs, but you're the you most know. you're the most successful team in that league's history. But and and I'm not saying this is a criticism. No championships, but you are still unquestionably the most successful team. It just hasn't broken right for you in the small sample madness that is the playoffs. Tristan won. Tristan and I played in the National League Championship Series in our first year, Kyle, and I still remember the weirdness of the series. Now he was the Rockies, so whenever you put games in Coors Field in Denver, crazy stuff is going to happen. He had one starting pitcher. The rest were just guys, and he was, like, filtering in all his relievers. And I had no starting pitcher. My ace was, like, Glavin. But I had a, I had a great team yeah. playing in Philadelphia's park, and he beat me in seven games. And I've never gotten even back to the NLCS with monster teams. I have a monster team now. I know I'm going to lose in the playoffs. I just don't know who. I guess I want – I don't need validation for that. I just think in fantasy, maybe it's different for baseball and football. When I think about – a fantasy football regular season, I don't think you should be rewarded for anything. I guess baseball is different because it's a much longer season and harder to have that record. So I think I would differentiate the two sports. I agree with what Tristan's saying, but for football, I don't think I would. I I don't like joining leagues, including in football, if all of the prizes go to the playoffs only. I like Kyle's. I like 60, 30, 10. And by the way, you could take that 60 and not just give it to the number one seed. You could break it down by seeds one, two, three. If you wanted to, sure. Yeah, that's fine. And I don't know what people are going to do this year. We talked about this, I think, on a, a recent show. I don't, I don't know what day it is even. But, like, like, what are you going to do in an 80-game season? I would argue, okay, I have a league that, that has a pretty hefty buy-in. I don't think it should be the same buy-in for a half season. I'm not even sure we should buy in anything because uh, it's going to be small sample size madness this season. And I just, you know – Oh, oh! I know what I forgot to tell you, Tristan. I should have just texted you. So I came up. I came up. Look, who cares? They're listening. They're, anybody's <laughs> even listening to this show. I love my care about. So the Nick Madrigal comp that I was so desperately looking for. Yeah, Steve Sachs. You know what? I looked at Steve Sachs the other day, and for a second I thought about it, and then I, and then my mind shelved it. No, you, that's it. You're right. You are no right. Power, big batting average, second base. Hopefully, Madrigal can throw. But Steve Sachs. <laughs> oh, you've got to bring in the yips. <laughs> and by the way, a very memorable Simpsons appearance. So Madrigal will be on the third edition of the there you go. baseball team. <laughs> oh, we just blurt out whatever whatever's on our mind here on Fantasy Focus oh, Baseball. Who cares? As long as I'm not cursing, Kyle, you don't care, right? No, I, like I know. I love it so much. It's genuine. It's what you're thinking about. It's We get real Eric Carabell, and I loved it. What's up, Tristan? I, I, wa- I want to – underscore what Eric said about the lowered entry. I remind this situation has been incredibly difficult on a lot of people have respect and patience for the people in your league who express that they'd love to play, but would like to see that entry a little bit less. I'm sure there are people in my league that hefty buyout league that don't have jobs right now, or they had to take pay cuts Mm -hmm. and who knows even what's going to happen to us. So the point is like money is different for everybody just be patient in this year. I would I would argue no money at all, and that includes me. Even if I win the league, I don't care about winning money. I don't even like playing in money leagues anymore. I don't. I'd rather just play for fun and pride. I want I like to win that. labor and talent just to win them. 
I like the donation idea of anything you win. Exactly. If, if you're playing for money and you win money, donate it to a good cause. And there's lots of them going on right now. All right, Kyle, what else? Here we got the last one. Brendan looking at the East Coast uh, forecast here and knows it's going to be a nice weekend. He wants to know what's on your workout playlist for the weekend. <laughs> workout playlist. Uh, we um, used STP already. We can't go to – I mean, STP would come to mind immediately for me. But <laughs> So my, uh, my wife and I put together a puzzle on Saturday last weekend, and we listened to Motown for half the day. That was fun. And um, – you might say, you know, I'm not a child. Why do a puzzle? Puzzles are fun. And basically all, all I'm looking for, and I, I have another month in this and so do you, is, is to kind of waste time. Like I'm trying to fill my day with fun stuff, interesting stuff. I mean I'm still working a lot. Um, I've actually been pretty busy like trying – anyway, I'm running more than I normally do outside. I, I keep playing Zenyatta Mandata over and over again, frankly. I played I played Abacab on a run recently. Uh, I was doing stuff in the basement. I played a Rolling Stones thing that I found on Spotify. Somebody had put together like a playlist, and I listened to that. I ain't listening to stuff that's recent. Anybody who listens has listened for years knows. I mean, I'm shuffling Beatles and Stones and trying to think what else. Um, do you have any plans? It's supposed to be a nice weekend. So I, I, it's definitely a hammock weekend. And now I have a hammock outside and inside, so that's nice. You have um, an indoor so hammock? I have two. Um, oh. I have two outdoor hammocks, but they both use the same apparatus, so I can't use them at the same time. They both hang, you know, like like the, like the shell, a skeleton, and you can hang the, the two hammock hammock eye. Um, but I have like I, I have two indoor ones as well. I think one was for the beach, but I have it open in an extra bedroom. So like you know, leave your office from time to time during the pandemic. Go into another room in the house. Open the windows. Lie down in your hammock, listen to music, read a book. I'm reading this Johnny Carson uh, biography on my Kindle. Fantastic so far. Uh, New York Times bestseller. And um, I don't know. I've been keeping plenty busy, frankly, even without sports. I'm not saying I, I, I want the back. Of course I want it back. But I'm finding like things to do that I never would have done before. Cleaning up my house and throwing stuff out and working out more than normal and playing these simulation games that I love. I've been doing a lot of stuff that I would not have done if this was a normal baseball season. Yeah. I'll second a lot of what you said there. A lot of cleaning up, a lot of walks and hikes uh, have been big for me, especially now that the trails have reopened again. Um, enjoying doing that. I just got to get up to the point of uh, doing my, my five-mile jogs or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't listen to a lot when I'm out doing the hike, by the way. That's usually where I'm doing my workouts. I want to listen and take in nature. But if I was going to do that, bring in the headsets. And by the way, the, one of the reasons why is that those iPod, uh, iPod which I guess would be iPhone now, uh, headphones kind of irritate my ears. Foo Fighters color in the shape. Everlong by Foo Fighters is the first song I'm thinking of. Uh, Soundgarden, I'll listen to a lot of Soundgarden. You know I'm a big 90s guy. So when I'm doing any of the, the cleaning around here, I'm usually calling up my iTunes and playing a whole bunch of that you know mid-90s alternative. <laughs> Kyle, what do you listen to? Well, that was my next follow-up question. What's the newest song either one of you guys have? Like, is there anything I would have, have? remotely, like, during my even high school years? Uh, most recent song. Would mine be Stairway to Heaven? I'm not trying to think here. <laughs> when did that come oh, out? Like, I the name of the song. But Before I, I was born. Yeah. I, I, um, no, I, I, I have some recent stuff. I don't know. Let me open my Spotify and see. I. But I'm not the guy to ask. I, I, you know, I'm. Oh God, 
Should I throw my After this, I'm listening to ACDC. So that, I don't think that's recent. Not the recent ACDC either. Um, the most recent album I bought was Billie Eilish's album. Because Billie I, Idol? Billie Eilish. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the, Who's the she? One, I don't know who that is. She. she. She's the one with the green hair. Who, yeah, I love that. I uh, love she was at the Oscars and she made that that face that everybody applied to the wrong scene, you know, like they were making a meme out of it. Uh, but but it got apparently got good reviews, so I I wanted to check that out. And I'll, I, I I didn't watch the Oscars. <laughs> I'll actually admit I'm a Halsey fan. That Billie Eilish would have been trivia. Kyle and Eric would not have known about the last album you bought. You've never heard of her? No, you've heard. No, of her. I have. I would have never in a million years guessed that you had that album. It's good. Eric's heard some of the stuff I've listened to over the past 10, 20 years, and it's it's odd, right? He refuses to listen to Rush. So when we're together on our trips, I listen to Rush constantly because he hates Rush. You've gotten me used to it. I have a much greater appreciation for Rush. So thank you for that. No, you don't. I do. I actually do. All right. uh, well, I guess that's it. We've, kind of, we've gotten to the point. And we come to that point at least once in every podcast where I'm like, now we're clearly just wasting time. So, and not that we don't have time to waste. I have a story to write. But um, anyway, thank you so much for listening to our little show, the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. No idea how many are listening, but we don't really care. We're just having fun. Basically, it's just my chance to see Tristan and Kyle on this little uh, squad cast we have and speak. And my hair is really long now. And Tristan, I think your head is getting bigger. How's that even possible? Your it's hair is not. Hair. Your hair is not growing at the rate that my hair is growing. Look, oh. look at this. My hair is now touching my shoulders. No picture. Okay, you've got – well, your hair is all – you've got like Frankenstein's monster hair going on there. <laughs> it's like I know. Out. I know. I hate it. I'm, i got to shave the whole thing off. I actually uh, like my hair long. I haven't, my, my wife just said my hair hasn't been this long since college. I wasn't a hippie. It's just like I didn't care and I had no money. But um, – not not going out. I'm like, why cut my hair? I like this. This is fun. Though I am shaving every day. Now I'm really wasting time. Thank you so much to June Lee. We'll be back next. We'll be back on Monday for our next show, and we'll talk baseball next Thursday. Will be the movie The Sandlot, and hopefully at some point we'll get to Bull Durham as well. Kyle Sapi's awesome. Tristan Cockroft's awesome. I'm Eric. I finished in second place last night. Have an awesome weekend. <laughs>